Hello and welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We're a church in Newmarket, Ontario, Canada that exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment. Thanks for joining us today. Amen, amen. Well, hey, go ahead and grab a seat. It is great to see everybody out here today. Met a a few new faces as well before the service began, so it is great uh, to have everybody here to worship Jesus Christ and a welcome to all of you who are watching uh, at home as well. Uh, Last kind of long weekend of the summer, single tier, I know, for all the kids, uh, celebration for all the parents (laughs) getting ready to send their kids back, but uh, trust that we'll have a great uh, basically round up here to our summer uh, with our service today. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, if you would be so great as to turn in your Bibles to all of that area. We're going to be right there. Now, uh, each of us here, no question about it, has been at some point overwhelmed in life. We've all felt it, right? Sometimes we experience that in the negative sense, don't we? We experience that uh, when we feel fear, when we feel dread, maybe it's something like, hey, I, I just lost my job. How am I going to pay my mortgage and all of my bills and all of those things? I mean, that something like that is super, super overwhelming, uh, definitely. But sometimes being overwhelmed is a positive. It's a, it's a wonderful thing that we can experience as well. You think about falling in love, right? Falling in love is very much overwhelming or or potentially for you, it was landing the dream job. It's the thing you've wanted since you were like eight years old and you worked so hard and you went to school and you nailed it and you've got it and it's there. That's an overwhelming thing. Maybe uh, for you, it's something where you were praying for somebody, Lord, open their eyes, help them to see who Jesus Christ is. And through a lot of prayer, years, years of it maybe even, they finally bow their hearts and bend their knee and accept and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I mean, that is overwhelming as you just consider the goodness and the greatness of God, right? It is powerful. It's a powerful thing to be overwhelmed. It really is. One way or the other, we've experienced both of those things. Now, if you think about it, I think overwhelmed is is a good word to use and to consider as we think about the attribute of God that we're going to be looking at here today Uh, which is his holiness. Okay, we're looking at how God is holy. You and I, we can get overwhelmed. People can get overwhelmed on on a number of levels when it comes to the fact that God is holy. Okay, God's holiness itself is overwhelming. And when you start to dig into exactly what that is and and what it tells us about our God, it's overwhelmingly dreadful when a sinner is, is struck by that acute awareness uh, of, of, about him, right? About God's holiness. We often think of that in terms of, of conviction, where we realize who he is and who we are in light of him. On the flip side of that, of course, it's overwhelmingly joyful when a Christ follower catches that fresh glimpse of the holiness of God. Okay, all of that really, all of the above is where we're going to be going here this morning as we go through this. And so here it is. We've been doing through the summer and, and through parts of the pandemic anyway. It's kind of a one-point outline, just one thing we're going to hammer on. And so here it is today. I am astounded as I consider that God is holy. I am astounded by this. And again, like I said, we're going to be in Isaiah 6 today. So I trust that you're there. We're going to be looking at the first seven verses. This in many ways is... It's kind of a classic passage when it comes to considering and thinking about this topic of the holiness of God. I'm sure many of us have read and studied and looked at this before, uh, but here's what it says. Follow along with me, starting in verse 1. 
It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, okay, so just so we get our bearings here, that was the year 740 BC. Okay, so 740 years before Christ, King Uzziah was the king of Judah at the time. He was, uh, for the most part, a good king. You know how they just flip-flop back and forth. It seemed bad king, good king, bad king, good king. He was a good king, at least until the very end. He stumbled a bit, but his death uh, marked the end of a long period of prosperity for God's people. And so what follows here in the rest of this verse and, and, and the rest of this passage, even beyond uh, what we're going to look at here today, is, is really understood as Isaiah's commissioning as a prophet by the Lord. Okay? And so it, it all begins here with this vision that, that uh, Isaiah has of, of the very throne room of God. Okay, so we know that it's in the final or in the year that King Uzziah died. It says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Okay, so this is a clear picture of, of splendor, is it not? It's a clear picture of, of, of just royalty. And if you, you know, you can probably imagine this or you know this, it was always considered like the highest honor ever to be called before a king, okay, to be brought into his presence. And you think about this, this is the king of kings. This is the Lord of lords. And this is the vision that Isaiah has here. This is what he's seeing. And it continues in verse two, he's describing it. He says, above him, above the Lord stood the seraphim or seraphim, okay, now, now, what are they? Well, well literally, the, the word seraphim there means flames. Okay, it means flames. So, so seraphim are clearly some kind of fiery, angelic beings of, of some sorts. Okay, in, in, impressive to say the least, I think. But, but just notice the, the, the posture and the, the demeanor before God as it describes them, that they have. Okay, first it says, each had six wings. Okay, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. Okay, so this is a portrayal, understand, of utter humility. They're, they're, they're covering their feet, they're, they're covering their face, they're shielding themselves. It's this, it's this I, am, I am not worthy in the presence of the Lord. That is how they understand it. That is how we're to understand it. Okay, and then it says this, though, it continues in the description. They have, we've already seen the two wings to cover the face, two to cover the feet. And then it says, and with two, he flew. So six wings. Verse three, it says, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now that, that word holy there is, is clearly the key of what we're talking about here today. And and really, in terms of definition, it, it, it means separate. It means separate or, or set apart. When, when used of God, it, it's, it's, it's referring to his perfection in every sense of the word. He's, he's unblemished. It's, it's pure righteousness and power and awesomeness. It's, it's used to describe what God's nature, divine nature, is. Okay, here's what John MacArthur says about it. He says this. We've got it on the screen. Of all the attributes of God, 
Holiness is the one that most uniquely describes him and in reality is a summation of all his other attributes. So he is perfectly holy in every other attribute that we've discussed this summer. The word holiness refers to, again, his separateness, his otherness, the fact that he is unlike any other being. It indicates his complete and infinite perfection. Holiness is the attribute of God that binds all others together. Okay, so, so obviously here, this word, this word holy is an extremely important one that we need to understand when we think about who our God is. Okay, again, if you think about it, back to the, to the seraphim, right? These, these beings, that they're these exotic, otherworldly be, beings, again, that, that, that could have used many different words to describe or to respond to what they were experiencing there in the throne room, right? They could have used impressive. They, they could have said amazing or incredible or awesome, any of those words, and they're all good words. But in, instead, what they are most struck by is the pristine holiness of God. Okay, and, and keep in mind this. They themselves are wildly impressive creatures, and yet they're not caught up in that whatsoever. They're not thinking about themselves at all. Their instinct, again, is to cover themselves up, right? To cover up their unworthiness. As incredible as seraphim are from even this description, they're just nothing compared to the perfection and the holiness of the Lord God. Hey, they're like, they're like we, might, we might literally be these raging forest fire-like celestial super creatures. Okay, that's what they are. Okay, that, that frankly, if you and I saw one of them, we would, we would be terrified, right? We would just, we would break down emotionally and physically in front of them. Okay, anytime somebody in the scriptures, somebody saw an angel, you think about the, the shepherds in the field at night, right? They see an angel. What is their, what is their response? It's fear. It, it, it's terror. And, and, and yet they are just, if I can call them this, regular angels, Right? These guys, these guys are something else uh, entirely. Okay? But, but they know, right? They know that, that none of what we are okay, holds a candle to the white-hot holiness of the Lord. As, as astounding and as impressive as we might be, he is infinitely more so. Now, our, our understanding of, of all of this is intended to lead you and I to this, to, to, to like an overwhelming sense of, of sacred reverence, right? That, that's in our hearts, that's, that's overflowing and, and spilling out into how we live our lives as you and I grow increasingly aware of God's holiness. And you need to know here that I'm not, and I haven't exaggerated anything here today. Right? I, I really have not. It's actually impossible to exaggerate when, when trying to describe God's holiness. Whenever you start to get a sense of it or, or, or describe it, it's, it's far more awesome than that. Right? How do we know that? Okay, well, remember, when, whenever there's a repetition of a word in the scriptures, it, it's meant to convey emphasis. Right? It, it's meant to, to, to thrust or, or punch home the, the epicness of that thing that it's that it's saying, okay, that, that these beings say, holy, 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 three times, 
That's, that's not insignificant at all. We see something very similar uttered in Revelation chapter 4. I'll just read it for you. It says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, you got it, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In, in, in both of these passages, they're, they're, they're communicating, they're, they're stressing that, man, words can't even adequately describe or convey just how unique and pure and and awesome you are, God. And so, and so what we're going to do is we'll repeat the best word that we have available to us. Now, when, when the word of God you know, and, and the spirit of God strikes a person with, with the weight of what it means that, that he is holy, there are really, I think, two right responses. There are two, two main responses. You could argue there are more to this, but two right responses that I want to focus on here today as we consider the holiness of God and as that, as that hits you, right? As you think about that, you can think back in your life. Maybe it was this week. Maybe it was years ago where you just came like, whoa, the Lord, wow, he's awesome, majestic in, in, in splendor and power and might. He is pure. The, the response within us, two things, repentance and worship. Repentance and worship. We see the first one here starting in verse 4. Again, we're back into Isaiah 6 now. Here's what it says. as in the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. I mean, what a scene, right? Wild. Verse 5 says, And I said, this is Isaiah now saying in response, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Right? He's been struck by, by that holiness. He's been struck by the splendor. When, when we have our eyes opened to the, the holiness of God, we are, we're, we're simultaneously throttled by that sickening awareness in our souls that, that left to our soul, ourselves, we're not holy. Right? We're, we're not. Have you been struck by that before? Where you realize that we're, like, I'm unqualified to stand before him. In that moment where we're struck by his holiness, we instantly agree with him that we are broken. Right? That we are in, in need of repair. And, and I can't do that. I, I need outside help in that to be made right before him. Which, awesomely enough, is exactly what God does. Just take a look at verse Six now here with Isaiah. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And what this is describing very clearly here is Isaiah's admission of guilt. Woe is me! Right? And it's genuine repentance in that moment, which is then met by God's mercy and forgiveness. Incredible. Okay? And so you and I now, we have to remember that, that today, now, it's through Jesus Christ that we receive God's mercy and forgiveness. It's 750 some odd plus years after Isaiah had this vision that we're looking at here today, it was Jesus who would come and atone for our sins. He absorbed God's 
righteous wrath, his holy wrath. He, he did that for us on the cross. Now, he destroyed the power of sin when he rose in victory from the grave. His unblemished record of, of sinless living and his sacrificial death satisfied the requirements of the law so that you and I, okay, in, in repentance, through repentance and in faith in him, could stand before the Lord as a people forgiven, as a people made holy ourselves, right? That is what he did. Hey, this is something that, you know, as, as believers, we talk about this a lot, but this is something that we must continually be mindful of. And maybe you're wondering why. Why do we have to continually be reminded of what you just said? Well, well because our, our default setting Okay, because of sin, because we're warped and we're just off because of that, we, we, we've fallen. Our, our default setting now is to forget that God is holy. It's to forget what he has done to make us holy. And so we become tempted to do things like wallow in shame. Like I messed up this week and I'm guilty and I'm never going to get better and this is the worst and, and I'm terrible. Or, or maybe for you, it's, it's legalism where you try to, to fix yourself. Like, you know that you're broken, and so you're going to try and, you know, behave your way out of that conundrum. You're going to try and, and, and do good things and, and, and hope that that, you know, gets you closer to God and, and makes him love you more or forgive you or, or whatever it is. Perhaps as a, as a Christian, you've been haunted by a verse like 1 Peter 5, uh, 1. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, I'll read it. But as he who, is, who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Right? I, I just wonder how many professing Christians you know, read that and, and feel nothing more than guilt and shame and, and despair and, and panic over that because they're, man, they're like, man, I, I'm not holy. Right? I've messed up so many times my you know, my track record is ugly and it's dark and, it, and, it's, and it's bad. And I see that I'm being called to be holy, but I just can't do it. Exactly. Right? And that is why Christ came, to, to be holy in your place. God looks at him and, and, is, and was satisfied in the way that he lived and in his death and resurrection. He was the perfect sacrifice that was for you. Right? Our response should be to, to lean as, as Christians, to, to lean again, once again, with gratitude into the finished work of Jesus Christ, who was holy before God for us. Through faith in him, you and I are declared holy. Right? That, that's the idea of being justified. It's being made righteous. When you get saved, that's what happens to you. Your sin gets forgiven. It gets transferred to Jesus where it was punished on the cross. His righteousness gets transferred to you, to your account. That is how God looks at you now. You are, you are holy. And then when we understand that, when we see that, when that happens, it, it drives us towards sanctification. Okay, so not, not justification, but sanctification. That is the process of being made more holy, where we now desire through the Holy Spirit's work in us to actually live, practically speaking, functional holy lives in everyday life. Okay, so let me just ask you this. Have you repented of your sins and believed in God's Son, Jesus Christ? Have you done that? Have you come to the end of yourself and realized that you're broken before God 
Have you confessed that to him? Have you repented? Have you believed that, that God sent his son Jesus for you to take away your sin? Have you done that? I would encourage you to do that now. If you have any questions about that, talk to somebody. Talk to the person you came with. Come track me down. Trust me. Find me. We want to talk to you about this. We want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as a Christian, which I know many of us are here, do you continue to repent as sin creeps in? Are you remembering over and over the gospel of your salvation? Repenting because out of joy of what Christ has done for you. Out of gratitude, thank you, Lord, that you have died for me, that I am justified, that I am holy. Would you allow that truth to sink down deep in my heart so that I desire, so that I want to follow you and be holy as you are holy? Now, again, I, I did mention that there are two right responses, main ones anyways, that we're to have as we're struck by the weight of God's holiness. Repentance, certainly, talked about that, but also worship. Worship, and, and that's, what being, that, that's what's being declared by the seraphim as they cry out, holy, holy, holy. They are ascribing worth to the Lord. They're attributing value to him. They're declaring their praise. They're reveling in, in awe for who he is and what he's done. If worship is not our response Right? If, if our hearts aren't gripped by this un, uh, inner compulsion to exalt Christ through worship and, and love and obedience and all those kinds of things, then we have simply not been struck by the weight of a holy God. And so what I want to do is give us an opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray, and then frankly, I'm going to get out of the way because we're going to sing a couple of songs here and declare and enjoy how awesome and how holy our God Almighty is. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Lord, we thank you again, Lord. And it's hard to even adequately say the words and, and describe our gratitude to you for what you have done. Lord, you have taken care of our eternity. Lord, you have made it so that we can be forgiven of all of our transgressions, every wrong that we have done. We can be made pure. That is through Jesus Christ, Lord, and we praise you. Father, we thank you for your holiness. Lord, I pray that we would not take it for granted. I pray that we would not forget about it. I pray that we would come to understand it and see it more clearly. Lord, would your spirit help us in these things? Lord, would we be motivated by your holiness to live lives of holiness ourselves? Lord, not legalistic lives where we're trying to be good in our own strength, but fall short. Lord, where we don't just wallow in self-loathing and despair and, and misery because of our brokenness, but recognize that, that you have healed and are healing us of these things. And so, God, we thank you and praise you, Lord. I pray that as we sing now, Lord, you would be exalted. Lord, we pray, we pray that, that our words would be more than words that would be coming from our soul, Lord. Utter praise and rejoicing at your goodness and for who you are. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.